Uh, my name is Ryan. Yeah, I grew up in Landmark. Uh, I now live in Winnipeg with my wife and three kids. And uh, I'm the director and founder of a ministry called Give the Word. And uh, we operate out of the Youth for Christ building downtown. We're not part of Youth for Christ, but they, they donate office and warehouse space to us there. And so we get to be right in the thick of things. And I love it. Um, I am so thankful and grateful that God's plans are different from our own. Because uh, if somebody would have told me 10... 12, 15 years ago that I'd be doing full-time ministry, let alone sharing the gospel, um, I would have laughed them out of the building. And I am so grateful that God's plans are far different from our our own, uh, because if I had it my way, my life would have looked very different, and I am so thankful for where I am um, today. Um, Yeah, Give the Word um, was started about five years ago, after I spent about five years, uh, previous five years, in another Bible distribution ministry. And, uh, but my ministry life really got, uh, really got going um, a few years even before that when I did uh, volunteer prison ministry at Stony Mountain. And that happened at a time right as I was starting to get back into my relationship with Christ. Um, I spent about 10 years really looking for happiness anywhere else but that. Not that I didn't believe it. Um, I always had a faith. But there was a long time where it just had no importance in my life. And, and I wasn't making use of, of that relationship that was there for me with Christ. And, uh, but as I started to pursue Christ again and, and chip off the pieces that didn't belong there, um, I really, um, God gave me this, this vision of, of prison ministry. Um, I've always been fascinated with prisons. I love documentaries about it and shows, and I love driving past them and thankful that I never ended up there. And, and uh, I, I just remember one day thinking it'd be so cool to do something in a jail. And uh, I thought of this at work. And it was the next day that our ba- uh, bass player called me with a, a worship band that I had started playing with. He said, I don't know if you would ever be into this, but we just got a call from Stony Mountain Penitentiary and they want to know if we want to lead worship there once a month and hang out with the guys there. And I thought, oh my goodness, God is answering the desire of my heart. And that was kind of my first experience of, of, of really God just revealing himself to me going, um, I'm here for you and I want to bless you. And, uh, and so I started doing prison ministry there and I found myself sharing the gospel with these guys. And I had never shared my faith ever before this. And, uh, and I was in the thick of it, of, of these, really these awesome guys that just did really bad things. And as I was sharing my story, I, I saw them respond and they were asking questions. And there was a couple of them that said, yeah, I'm in, I want this. And I was like, man, I have been missing out. I have been missing out. I am now in my mid-twenties, and I am only sharing my faith now. There is so much joy in sharing the gospel, and that got me fired up to get into ministry full-time. And so um, it wasn't long after that that I became the director of a Bible ministry in Winnipeg. And I was their director for about five years, and it was there that I really saw the impact that the Bible had on people's lives, that the Bible really is a living word, and if it's applied, it will absolutely change your life. And, And I saw that. And um, after about five years there, um, just through different circumstances and and different visionary um, vision casting and stuff like that, uh, I ended up leaving uh, the ministry and just thought, well, I'll get back into sales or I'll do something. But the words give the give the word just started ringing in my ears and uh, and I it wasn't really going away. And I had a friend of mine say, are you still passionate about outreach and evangelism and, and, and Bible distribution? I said, yeah, he said, then why would you ever do anything else? And I thought, well, yeah, that sounds great, but I need a job. 
And uh, he's like, well, yeah, you could, you already know how to do this. Why don't you start a ministry? And, and I really started to think about that and pray about that. And um, give the word is really exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to give the word. And so I started to pursue that. And uh, after a lot of prayer and a lot of talking and um, a lot of fear, um, I just said, okay, God, I'm going to do this. And uh, if you're in it, please provide. And if not, don't. And I'm going to be okay with that. And so here I am, my first week of starting Give the Word. Um, it's really nothing yet. It's just an idea. And, and I remember um, going to my father-in-law's office. He works at an insurance company in Winnipeg. And I popped in there just to say hi to him. And the owner of the company was there. And the owner just comes up to me and he goes, Hey, Ryan, I heard you're starting some kind of a, a ministry. What's that all about? And so I told him. And uh, he just goes, Well, that's amazing. He said, Where's your office? I said, you're looking at it, man. I got my phone in my car. I got, I got nothing. And he just goes, well, I can help you. I said, I got a brand new building here. Why don't I donate office and warehouse space to you rent-free and you can just be here? I was like, what? I, who does that? And I haven't even prayed about that yet. And here God is already giving me what I need. This is cool. I like this. And, uh, and so I started working out of, this, out of this building and I started raising my personal support and, and uh, I called Tyndale Publishing in Chicago and they own the New Living Translation and that's the translation I wanted to use and, and uh, so I wanted to get a quote on 10,000 Bibles, which is actually these ones that you have in, on your seats there. And, um, and I said, what's this going to cost me? And I told them, that I just, I just want to make the Bible free and available for people to use for outreach and evangelism and I want to equip ministries who are doing front lines outreach with the Word of God um, just to maximize their effectiveness, and, and I just don't want the Bible to cost people anything. And uh, what do I got to buy these Bibles for? Because it's going to cost me something, obviously. And uh, they gave me a price of $80,000 for 10,000 copies, which, it's a lot of money, um, but $8 a copy, I was like, all right, well, I'll get to work. And uh, a couple of days later, they called me back and they said, Ryan, we've been talking about your ministry and what you want to do here and, and we, we really want to connect with you. And so we're actually going to give you these Bibles at our cost and we're going to bring that down from $8 a copy to $2.38. And I was going, what is going on? This is amazing. And, uh, and they said, the only catch is, is that these Bibles are going back into print because we're currently out of stock. So if you want in on this next print run, we'd have to have your order in within a week. And this was Friday of May long weekend. And I thought, that's a great offer, but how in the world am I going to raise 24 grand over May long weekend? I, I can't do it. And I got really discouraged and I went home and I just thought, no, I dedicated this ministry to God. If it's his, if he's in this, he's going to provide. And so I got on my email and I emailed everybody that helped me get started with my support and some people that said no. And uh, I said, I'm just going to shamelessly ask you again. I, I need $24,000 in six days. And uh, I pressed send and was like, well, let's see what happens. And over the weekend, my email just lit up. And in five days, we had just under $30,000. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I've spent five years fundraising before and never had anything come together like that. And it really took me no effort other than going like this and that. <laughs> There's nothing that I really did. God did it all. And uh, so I placed the order and I went to a trucking company and asked if they could give me a discount on shipping. And they said, yes, they would. And they came back and said, we're actually going to do all your shipping for free. And we're going to do all your future orders for free. And it was just, it brought me to my knees and it was like, what is happening? 
And I went to a printing company in the city and I needed some, all of our marketing material and our website done. And, and they gave me a price, which I thought I could probably afford or raise the money for. And they never gave me a bill. And they said, no bill. We just want to help. And give the word was a hundred percent operational within a month. And I had zero overhead, nothing. It really, it brought me to my knees and I really understood that verse when God says, my word will never return void. And, and he's been fulfilling that promise for, well, forever. But he's been filling that promise in me for the last quite a few number of years now. And he continues to do it day after day after day. Um, and uh, Give the Word has now grown um, substantially. We're now in the Youth for Christ building. They donate uh, office and warehouse space to us because we uh, outgrew our other space. And um, it's been amazing. We've been able to donate um, over 200,000 Bibles in the last five years to over 400 ministries across Canada um, and into Latin America. And uh, it just every every year it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And uh, what's my plan for Give the Word for the next five or ten years? I have no idea. No idea. God surpassed all of my plans and expectations. So why make plans? Let's just go with the, go with the flow and see what God does. He's going to change my plans anyway. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it's been amazing. But one of, my, one of my passions is sharing the gospel because there's joy in it. And I remember God got me ready for this job very early on in my life. And it had to do with one of the first jobs I've ever had, which was a telemarketer. And you have never experienced rejection like you will if you're a telemarketer. It is the worst. And back then when I'm, in my, like, when I'm like 20 years old, I took rejection very, very personally and I had a hard time with it. And so you wouldn't believe what people said to me on the phone. And it was all commissions-based, and I wasn't selling anything. And I was really discouraged. And that probably, I probably didn't sell a lot because I was, a really, I was really uncomfortable talking to people. And so I tried something new, and I, I always remember seeing the faces of the, the, the people's names on my screen when I, was, uh, when I was making the call, so I knew exactly the person's name that I was calling. And I remember this name came up, and it, I think your last name was like Fredrickson or something like that. And, and so I just said, hi, my name is Ryan Fredrickson calling from AT&T. And she's like, oh, you're a Fredrickson. I'm like, yeah. She's like, where are you from? I was like, oh, no. And so I just made up something, and... and uh, and we just started talking about our family name, well, mine, like my fake family name. And, and we had this long conversation, and then she let me give her the spiel of what I was selling, and she bought it. And I was like, no way. This could work. And so every t- I, I started using people's last name as my last name, and I was rocking it. I was selling so many long-distance plans. It was amazing. And, but what I really started to enjoy is the conversation part of it. Like, people started talking about their backgrounds and their stories, and I would give my fake background and my fake story. <laughs> and, and I really, really enjoyed the conversation. And it totally took me out of my comfort zone um, and, uh, and gave me this, this love for people and talking to people. And, uh, and now I get to do that honestly. Um, <clears throat> And I don't know about you, but I, I travel a lot, um, and I remember when I used to get on a plane, I would always, as soon as I'd get to my row and there's somebody else sitting there, I'd be like, oh, somebody else is here, and now they're going to want to talk to me, and our elbows are going to touch, and, and, uh, and I'd always just wish for a seat to myself, and 
that has completely changed for me. Now it's, God, would you give me somebody to talk to? Would you make sure that there's somebody in my row that is willing to listen to what I have to tell them? And I remember speaking uh, at a conference in Thunder Bay uh, this summer, and before I got on the plane, um, I said, God, would you just sit me beside somebody with a sense of humor and somebody who's a chatterbox? And I just said a little silent prayer before I walked on the plane, and I get to my row, and there's this you know, 45-year-old white guy sitting there, and he looks up at me as I'm getting into his row, and he just goes, oh... He goes, you are not the hot blonde I ordered to sit beside me. <laughs> and uh, just the way he said it, I just, I, I burst out laughing and I was like, thank you, Jesus. He's like, this guy is awesome. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I sat, I sat beside him and, and uh, I right, we right away started talking and, and I just asked him what he does and what he's going to Thunder Bay for. And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a broadcasting executive from Saskatoon and I, I travel over, all over Canada meeting clients and... Uh, so we talked about his job for a little while, and then he said, what are you doing in Thunder Bay? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to speak at a youth conference. And he goes, what do you talk about at a youth conference? And I said, well, I just kind of nonchalantly said, I'm just going to talk about how Jesus changed my life and uh, how I'm, I'm able to use my story um, to be able to share the gospel with others, and so I want to equip these youth to do the same thing. And he just goes, wait, what do you mean Jesus changed your life? How does that work? And, uh, and I was like, Yes! And so I got to share my story with him and my testimony, and I incorporated the whole gospel message into that. And he's looking at me puzzled, and he just goes, I have never heard that before. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I mean, I know that Christianity exists, and I know that, that God and, and Jesus fit into there somehow, but the way that you said it, I've, I've never heard that. And he said, this is really interesting timing because my dad recently passed away and I've really been wondering where he is. He said, I consider myself to be an agnostic. I don't know if there's anything out there. I lean more towards the science and logic end of things. But if my dad's not anywhere, what's the point of anything? And so we talked from the moment we took off till the moment we walked out of the airport in Thunder Bay. And we're now still emailing back and forth and and he's not a believer yet, and, and that's okay. My job isn't to save him. My job is just to give him the message and make Jesus known. And it's amazing what God does when you just bring Jesus into the conversation. Just bring him in instead of keeping it to yourself. Because if we are, God, we are God's plan A. We're his plan A, and there's no plan B. We're it. So if we're, if we're not sharing the gospel, if we're not sharing our faith, there's people missing out. There's people missing out on your story and on God's story. We're God's plan A and there's no plan B. One of the verses that I really connect with and that I love to read, it's in Romans 10, verses 13 to 15. It says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. The Great Commission was one of the last things that Jesus ever spoke to us 
before his ascension back into heaven. His last instructions to us were to go and share the gospel. Go and make disciples. Go into all the ends of the earth and tell people about me. It's the last thing and last instruction that he gave us. And if that's the last thing that he wanted us to hear, there's probably some, impo- some importance in that. And yet so few of us are doing it. There was a survey in, in, uh, in North America done about what Christians actually think, or what non-believers actually think about Christians. And it's not all bad. It's actually far more positive than what we actually think it is. Um, they interviewed thousands and thousands of non-believers and asked what they thought about Christians and what kind of things they had to say. And they compiled their, their I think it was about seven most popular comments that they got back with an answer to that comment. I'm going to read through them quickly. Number one, I would like to develop a friendship with a believer. I'm really interested in what exactly they believe. I'd like to find a Christian who'd be willing to spend some time with me, but I wouldn't know who to ask. Yes, I would like to hear about the Bible. The Bible actually fascinates me, but I don't know where to get one or where to go to learn about it. I'd be open to a Christian inviting me to a Bible study somewhere. Number three, I don't really see much difference in Christians and non-Christians. What is the difference? I'd like to learn to be a better husband, wife, father, mother. I'm going through some major family issues right now, and I think my neighbor might be a Christian. He seems to have his life in order. Maybe I can swallow my pride and ask him about his faith. As if it's his job. I'd be totally open to a Christian inviting me to their church. I'd like to visit a church, but I'm not comfortable going by myself. What's weird is that I'm 32 years old, and I've never had somebody invite me, even though I have Christians in my life. One of the surveys that followed that, again, talking to thousands of believers, is what evangelism looks like in North America. And the statistic that they gave us was that only 2 to 5% of Bible-believing Christians are active in sharing the gospel. 2 to 5% on a continent where this is allowed. That leaves like 95% of us keeping the greatest news that has ever been given to ourselves. The harvest really is plenty, and the laborers really are few. And so what happens when the gospel is not shared? Because the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. If it doesn't, it's useless. I had a guy named Todd come to our office um, a few years back, and he had this Bible in his hand, and he knocks on the door and he just says, "Um, sorry to bug you, but I need to know what you do here. And I said, yeah, come on in. And he just goes, the only reason why I'm here is because I have this Bible with me and, and this logo on the back of the Bible matches the logo on your door. And, uh, um, and I have a story to tell you. And I said, sure, what's up? And he said, I was at Value Village picking up some uh, clothes for my brother and I just picked up a random book. He said, I love to read. I'll read anything. Um, I just like soaking stuff up. And uh, he said, I picked up this book and when I brought it home, and opened it up and started reading it, I realized that it was a Bible and that I was reading through the Bible for the first time in my life. And he said, it's as if every single word in this book was written for me because it answers everything. And he said, I read through the whole New Testament in three days and the only conclusion that I could come to at the end of this book was that I needed Christ. And I've done that. 
It was amazing. He said, I'm 42 years old and I'm now the first Christian in my family tree that I can go back to because of this book. And he took me for coffee. We developed this friendship when we started talking and he took me for coffee one day and he just goes, Ryan, have you known about Jesus your whole life? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I got a bone to pick with you. He said, not you personally, but you as somebody who's known about this. He said, why is it that Christians like you rob people like me of eternity by keeping your mouths shut? I was speechless and teary-eyed. I had no good answer for him that would be good enough that he would go, oh, okay, I see. There is no good answer that's good enough. He said, I almost died in a drunk driving accident not long ago. It was my fault, and I almost died, and I don't know why I didn't, but I now know where I would have gone if I would have. And he said, and that burden would have been on all of you, because you Christians have chosen to say nothing to me. And he said, when I got saved, I went back to my workplace, and I just started talking about it, and I found out that there was 12 other Christians in my office that were so excited that I'm now a believer, and all I could think about was, how dare you? How dare you keep this from me for so long? He said, I realize that I may not have been receptive to it, but I can't figure out why you wouldn't try. You're allowed to do this. And he just goes, you, he's talking to me here, he goes, you Christians don't know what you have. And if you do, you don't appreciate it. Because what else is there to talk about? That was a hard lesson. That was a hard conversation for me to hear. I remember being at a church in Calgary, um, and uh, I was thinking about those statistics, and I just thought, I'm going to put something to the test here. And so um, it was a church of about 400 people, and I said, everybody close your eyes. Um, Don't look at anybody else. I'm not going to do it here today. Um, I just said, who here would say that their faith is the most important thing in their life above anything else? Raise your hand. And almost the entire church raises their hand. And I said, now keep your eyes closed and be really honest. Who here would say that they are actively engaged in sharing their faith throughout the week in any capacity? About eight hands went up in a church of 400 people. There's the answer. And I said, how can we collectively say that our faith is the most important thing to us if we're not willing to share it? Because we talk about what's most important to us. We are open and honest about what's most important to us. And if our faith isn't that, something is wrong. Because we are God's plan A and there is no plan B. And I think, I think we often place the burden onto pastors and ministry leaders and ministries as a whole to get the gospel out there and missionaries abroad. Well, you know what? It's way too big of a job. It's way too big of a responsibility to put that burden on all of these people because the command that Christ gave us to share the gospel meant everybody, every single person. And did you know that if if every single Bible-believing Christian in Canada were to share the gospel with five or six people, Canada would know about Christ. 
that's so doable. Like, that's really, really doable. And it's not happening. And how do we win this war? How do we win this battle if we're not, if we're not open to doing this? Because there are people dying every single day that we assume might know about salvation and know about Christ, but they don't. And this guy, Todd, that came into my office is an example of that. And this guy on the plane is an example of that. These are just people that were born here that have never heard the gospel, the real gospel. I was at Missions Fest in Vancouver. Um, this was uh, almost two years ago now. But I had brought a ton of Bibles with me, like we do all the time when we're at Missions Fest. But I had my table stacked with Bibles, and usually everything at Missions Fest is given out for free, and so people are walking by going, hey, are these free? I said, yeah, absolutely, take one. And so they would take one. I said, but you can't keep it. And you go, oh, okay. They said, you have to give it away. If you're going to take a Bible, you have to commit to giving it away and sharing the gospel, or at least trying to, with someone. And did you know that most of them put it back? At Missions Fest! Where people are there to get involved, they're interested in missions. And they're putting it back. I was actually really blown away at that. And I would ask them why. Some of them didn't say anything, they just walked away. But some of them gave me an answer, and I compiled my own list of the answers that I got, of the most popular answers anyway. Number one, I wouldn't know what to say. Neither do I. I've never known what to say at the starting of a conversation. Every conversation is different. Well, I'm actually not a missionary. Yes, you are. If you're a believer, you're a missionary. You're either active or inactive, but you are one. Well, I wouldn't know who to give this to. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the point. People don't want to hear about Jesus. That's absolutely wrong. If we actually believe that we were created by God for God, everybody wants to hear about Jesus. The Bible says, share the gospel when necessary, use words. No, it does not. My life's not good enough to share. It never will be. Mine's not. I'm scared of rejection. So is the planet. And the last one, I don't want to. I don't want to. I remember talking to this guy there at the booth and he's excited about what we're doing, about what we're doing and then I challenged him to go do it and he just goes, <coughs> no. Like, do we not have a burden for people? There is joy in sharing the gospel. And there is joy and applause in heaven when one person comes to Christ. Half of the gift of sharing the gospel is for us. Obviously the gift is for the receiver, but it's for the giver. I have never taken an opportunity to share my faith and walked away wishing I hadn't done it. There's joy in it every single time. And it's that one yes that you eventually get. Well, I'm sure you'll get more than one yes, but you'll get a lot of no's too. But it's that one yes that fuels the fire for every single other opportunity that you take. 
I think we sometimes take the Great Commission as the great suggestion and some even the great omission. That this isn't something that we actually have to do. It is. It's something that we have to do. It was a command. I was listening to a pastor speak on this, one of my favorite pastors, Greg Laurie, who actually does a lot of the notes for our Bibles, and I remember him saying that if you know that you're supposed to share the gospel and you don't do it, it's sin, because there is the sin of omission. I've asked you to do something, and you're voluntarily choosing not to do it. And did you know that the worst response that I've ever had sharing the gospel or trying to is the word no? No, I don't want to hear about it. No, I don't want that Bible. Big deal. We've all heard no 10 million times in our life. We're used to it. It's a regular word, but for some reason, when it comes to sharing our faith, it's, well, I couldn't handle hearing the word no. It's a lie. I remember taking an opportunity one day that I'm going to show you a video here for right away. Um, it was a really uncomfortable situation. Um, I just felt this nudge of God pulling me towards this person, person that I saw on a bench. And I had every excuse in the world not to. I was busy. I had things I needed to get done. It was cold outside. It was winter. Um, and I just didn't want to. But for some reason, that person just stuck, stood out. And I knew that God was telling me something. And I had no idea what it was. And I, so I just chose to turn my car around and stop and go and talk to this person and God showed up like he promises to do and uh, I'll let you watch this video. My name is Ryan Rempel. I'm the director for Give the Word Ministries here in Winnipeg. We give away Bibles and we encourage people to share their faith and, and uh, it's something I, I try and do but I, I was driving down the street uh, one day and uh, just doing some errands for work and I saw this person sitting on a bench and uh, God just told me to approach this person. I was sitting there thinking, I guess I was in my own mind just in thought. He drives up. All of a sudden I hear, excuse me. I turn around, I looked up and there he was. And I had 10 bucks in my wallet and God just said, you need to go give it away. And so I did that. I says, no, thank you. I don't want it. It's okay. No, I have to do this. I felt a nudge. And I gave it away and, and uh, I knew she was confused as to why I was giving it away and so was I. Uh, but I knew I needed to obey that little nudge that God gave and so I gave it away. And then God said, you're not done yet. You need to pray for this person. And so I said, I, I'm sorry to bug you again, but can I pray for you? And, uh, and she welled up with tears and, and she said, I have cancer. And so I sat down beside her and I prayed for her. And I don't even remember what I said, but I prayed. And, uh, you know, she gave me a, this big hug and, and she turned around and, and walked inside. And, and I went on my way and I thought, God, this can't be the end of this story. There's got to be more. So I went back to my office and, and I grabbed a Bible and I wrote a letter with some of my testimony, my story in there, and uh, the message of salvation with my phone number. And I said, God, you got to connect me with this person again. I don't know how, but you got to do it. And so I went back to that apartment building that I saw her at, and I sat there for about an hour. 
and uh, she didn't come back out. And I went back again that evening and sat there again. She didn't come back out. I went back the next morning, sat there again. She didn't come back out. And so I thought, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. And I went to uh, I went to a, the store nearby to buy a, a couple things for my dad. And uh, I went to the checkout line, and there she was in the checkout line. He says, please don't go away. I have something for you. And I looked at him. I said, okay. He gave me this Bible. I wasn't expecting it. I said, thank you very much. What is this for? It's for you. I had to give this to you. Then Maureen, I fully believe in Jesus Christ. I believe just as Jesus says in the Bible, anyone who believes in the, their heart that I am this son of God and that I died for your sins will be saved I read this letter and I cried at home I thought nobody would do something like that and um, about a week later she called me and said Ryan I've been reading that letter and that Bible every day and, and this has changed everything and I just knew that I wanted her to, to, to get into community with, with like minded people and, and with the church that would just love on her and, and accept her I wanted her to feel that and so, uh, so I invited her to church I've learned that there's never a bad time or a bad opportunity to reach out it, usually I find that it's, the, it's when it's most uncomfortable that's when you need to do it. And so I've just really found that uh, no matter how uncomfortable it feels, just reach out and, and love on people and just watch God work. It's amazing. Um, Maureen died last Christmas, um, which was really hard. Um, and I can't imagine what her life would have looked like if I would have just kept driving. Because I could have, and it's what I wanted to do. Every part of me screamed, just keep going. And I thought, no. No, I'm not going to keep going. And that yes had fu- has fueled so many fires to keep taking opportunities. They're not all pleasant, but they're all worth it. Every person is worth it. To at least try, how can we not? Everyone is empty, everyone is lonely, everyone is guilty, and everyone is afraid to die. So how can we not let them know? It's not fair. First Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And I used to read that verse thinking, man, that's a great verse, but why don't I ever have any opportunities to share with somebody? about the hope that I have. And I realized that I was asking for an opportunity that don't actually exist. I wanted somebody to come up to me going, Ryan, I totally know that you're a Christian and I think you're awesome. How do I become one? That opportunity doesn't exist. And it's not up to them to come and see. It's up to us to go and tell. And if you want to give them a reason to ask you about the hope that you have, all you got to do is take a look at how the disciples and Jesus carried out their ministry. Before they shared the gospel, they always preceded that message with an act of service, love, or a miracle, which gave them permission to share the gospel with them. Because these people are going, 
Who are you and why in the world would you do that for me? So if you want somebody to ask you about the hope that you have, go do something so outrageous for somebody that it makes them ask you why you would do that for them. Don't just buy them a a dollar coffee and don't just hold the door open for somebody. Go do something huge for somebody. If you can give up your time and your comfort and your money, you can make massive things happen for people that will make them look at you and go, why in the world would you do that for me? And it works. Because now they've asked you and given permission for you to tell them. There's a, a, a video by uh, Penn Gillette. Many of you might know who he is. He's a famous uh, magician, comedian in the States. Um, super funny guy. And, uh, but he's an atheist. And he's very, very evangelical about his atheism. He's great at it, and he loves to talk about it. But one of, the, one of the videos that I often show when I, when I speak, I, I won't show it today because there's just not enough time. It's a long, longer video. But he's at one of his shows and this guy comes up to him after, after his show um, and he says, all he said to me was, I love your show, I love what you're doing and I want you to have this gift. And he said, that man gave me a Bible knowing that I don't believe that. But he believed, it in, un, he believed in that Bible enough that he would still give it to me. And he said, I respect that man. And he said, the only Christian that I can respect is a Christian that shares their faith. Because if Christians actually believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, then how much do Christians actually have to hate someone not to share that with them? That's amazing. God is using that guy to build his kingdom and he doesn't even know it. But it's true. What really struck me this morning is uh, um, before I got here, I just, I just opened my Bible and, and uh, I just started reading something and it just jumped out at me instantly. And it's James 1. It starts on verse 22. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. There is blessing in sharing the gospel. And it's addictive. It really is addictive. I am always just looking for opportunities and sometimes I take some real bad ones and (laughs) the conversation goes real south. But that's okay because that's going to happen. Don't just be a come and see believer. Be a go and tell. So my challenge for you today is this. This Bible that you have on your seat, some of them look like this, some of them look like this. Take an opportunity, one opportunity before the year's end and share the gospel with somebody or try to. Take one opportunity and on this card, if you don't have one of these cards, you can get our contact information off the back of the Bible or on the, one of the brochures that might be on your seat. 
But give this Bible away and do something big for somebody and tell them about Jesus and share your story with us. Write back to us. Our email and address and everything is on here and on the back of the Bible. Let us know your story so that we can use your story to go and encourage the next person to do it. And once you've done it once, repeat. Do it again and again and again. And that's what Give the Word is here for, is we want to equip you to be able to share your story and God's story, to bring Jesus into your conversations. I would love for you to do that with me. I'm going to do it with you too. And uh, I hope that we can all collectively do that together. Um, I'm going to pray right away. But uh, at the back, if you, w- if you want to support what we do, um, my staff, Rob, is sitting at the back there. And there's uh, um, donation cards at the back table there. If you want, take one. Um, you don't have to by any means. But we are rapidly growing. And the need for the Bible is only increasing. And uh, God's doing amazing things with his word. And we'd love for you to join us. So anyways, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this morning, and uh, <clears throat> God, thank you for the freedom that we have um, to be here to collectively worship and talk about you, Lord. Um, thank you for the freedom that we have to, to share the gospel and to make the Bible available, Lord. We're allowed to do this here, and that's amazing. God, I pray that we would take full advantage of that freedom and uh, take all the opportunities that you give us every single day. Um, God, would you give everybody here um, boldness and courage and excitement as they go out uh, and go and tell. And uh, we can't wait to hear those stories. And just uh, thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. Amen.